Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. My name is Rick Samprin. We speak to Hamilton police about a double shooting, home invasion and kidnapping in Mount Hope. Is the Hamilton Catholic School Board failing some of its high school students? Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath wants the province to rejig its COVID-19 attack plan. What will Hamilton look like post-election? We ask Peter Gray from McMaster University. PPC leader Maxime Bernier joins us to talk about his controversial campaign. And we chat about a new development in Hamilton's encampment issue. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast starts now. Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Hamilton police are investigating a home invasion, double shooting, and a kidnapping on Glencaster Road in Mount Hope overnight. Hamilton Police Media Relations Officer Indy Barrage joins us on Good Morning Hamilton to provide us with an update. Uh, Mr. Barrage, what has happened this morning? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's disturbing, to say the least. Uh, this morning at about uh, 3 a.m., Hamilton police responded to a double shooting and a home invasion in the area of Glancaster and Dickinson Road in uh, Mount Hope. Um, upon arrival, police found two males suffering from gunshot wounds within the residence. Um, the males were uh, transported to hospital with uh, life-threatening injuries, and uh, subsequently, upon arrival, one of the individuals had succumbed to his injuries um, a third male uh, with from within the residence was uh, forcibly taken from the household, uh, which we believed within a, uh, a dark SUV. Um, Hamilton police are asking the public's assistance in locating this uh, 63-year-old male, Fakir Ali. Um, Ali is described as uh, 5'7", 180 pounds, medium complexion, thinning black hair. Um, he was believed to be wearing black and white plaid pajama bottoms and no shirt at the time that he was uh, taken from his household. Um, in, investigators at this time believe this to be a targeted incident, and uh, our Hamilton Police Major Crime Unit has uh, carriage of the investigation. Um, we, we, we understand that this is a homicide at this time, and it's being investigated as such, but our main concern at this time is locating Fakir Ali, who's outstanding, and bringing him home uh, safely. What can you tell us about Mr. Ali? Is he, is he known to police? Is he just an innocent person in this case? What can you tell us about him? He's not known to police. We believe this to be targeted. Uh, and then it's being investigated as such. Uh, we don't know the circumstances uh, surrounding why this came to be and what, what occurred here. We're, it's still very, very early in the investigation, uh, and, and the investigation is very fluid, and it's it kind of moving quickly. But uh, we're uh, just holding the scene. We expect to be in this uh, area for quite some time today uh, until uh, things start to uh, figure themselves out. How many suspects are you looking for? We haven't confirmed that at, at this time. We believe there to be multiple, but uh, we don't. We don't have a an, in, like a number determined yet. We're chatting with Hamilton Police Media Relations Officer Indy Barrage as police are investigating a home invasion, double shooting, and a kidnapping on Glencaster Road in Mount Hope overnight. One of the victims who was shot has died. Do you have any information on the two people who were shot? Male, female, approximate ages? Were they family members? Uh, both were. Both were male. Um, we believe that the three, uh, three people that were in the household are, are family members and residents of that household. Um, we're still looking to confirm that, but uh, it, we, we have a pretty good handle on the fact that they, they were related. Now, you said that you believe this is a targeted attack. What has led to that thought? Um, we're not going to be divulging that information at this time, just because it is pertinent to the investigation. Uh, we just wanted that known to the public, just um, to the individuals in the area who may be concerned if there's a... Uh, because there are individuals out because uh, of the uh, firearm still uh, outstanding. Uh, uh, any threat to public safety at this point? 
no, like I said, it, it was a targeted incident, so we're going to say n- n- not at this time. Uh, we believe this to be a targeted incident, and uh, police are investigating it as such. We're chatting with Hamilton Police Media Relations Officer Indy Barrage here on Good Morning Hamilton. The canine unit, we understand, is also on the scene. Tell us what's happening inside and outside of the house right now. Well, uh, our uh, forensics unit has been by, and uh, we'll continue to return uh, until uh, until they've gathered all, all the evidence. We're holding the scene, and we uh, plan to hold it for quite some time. Uh, canines here, obviously, assisting with canvassing along with other officers. We're going to be asking individuals uh, in the area, and we're asking for any witnesses or anybody that may live in the area that may have video surveillance to uh, come forward uh, and assist us because they would assist in uh, figuring this thing out here. Uh, I was going to say, is, it, is there a lot of video evidence potentially? Is this a, a populated area of Glencaster Road? It is. There is quite a few houses uh, close by and uh, pr- close proximity to one another. So uh, we're hoping that uh, some of these households will have some camera footage uh, that may not be visible to uh, us from the street. And are there any road closures in effect? Yes, uh, we have uh, Glen Cluster Road closed off at Dickinson. You know what? I don't know if we've uh, narrowed the scene down yet, but we are. We're trying to assist with residents in the area, so we are letting uh, residents through. We're just uh, stopping them at each of the the uh, points just to confirm where they live and their reason for being in the area. Hamilton Police Media Relations Officer Indy Barrage, thanks for joining us and giving us an update on what is a, as you said, very disturbing situation in Mount Hope uh, this morning. Thanks for the time today. Not a problem. Take care. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Riggs Amperin on 900 CHML. The Hamilton Catholic School Board is offering uh, learning to secondary students in in a different way. It's been called a hybrid model in which there's one teacher in the classroom that is teaching both students who are in class and kids who are learning at home. Yeah, that's still a thing, uh, but this is being done at the same time. So there's not a dedicated teacher for those who are learning remotely. Uh, An interesting and, in, in some cases, troubling scenario. Allison Brindle is the Executive Director of Learning Disabilities Association of Halton Hamilton and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Allison. Morning, Rick. How are you? I'm new. Not too bad. Um, how do you feel about this hybrid learning system? Well, it's an organization that supports uh, children with uh, struggles in, in the classroom. Um, we're very concerned. Uh, this model puts a lot of pressure on the teacher. Uh, coming out of the pandemic, our teachers have to bring everybody back uh, from the learning gaps. But our students are the ones that are really struggling. And they're also the ones that are often very quiet at the back of the classroom, um, just trying to keep their heads down and, and, and get on. And so by having to split the teacher's time, we are very concerned that our students are going to be missing out on the extra support that they need. So safe to say that especially those who are learning online are getting shortchanged because they're not getting the full attention. I mean, no one's really getting the full attention of the teacher. No, and that's our major concern. It's it's that no one is getting the best system here. The None of the students, the ones online, the ones in the classroom, the ones that are struggling, the teacher, the parents, nobody is really benefiting from this model. Um so, so we're concerned that 
not only the students that we represent are missing out, but everybody in the classroom is missing out. You mentioned uh, that learning gap, and certainly that has been, uh, you know, widely reported in terms of, you know, all these students now playing catch up. For those with learning disabilities, are they in danger of falling further behind because of this hybrid model? Yes, I mean, when we when we consider students with learning disabilities uh, to be diagnosed, you have to be of average to gifted intelligence. So our our children that we support are bright, but they struggle to learn differently. So. So most people might have heard of it as dyslexia or dysgraphia. There's there's a number of different uh, terms, but we also, and we also cover ADHD. Those students have struggled dramatically online um, and don't cope well with all the transitions backwards and forwards. So their learning gap is significantly higher uh, in most cases than uh, the general population. And so not only are they trying to catch up with their peers, they're trying to make up the gaps that they have just because they learn differently. And unfortunately, when a teacher is stretched so thin, unless our students act out in the classroom, they're really not going to get that extra attention that they need. Alison Brindle is the executive director of the Learning Disabilities Association of Halton Hamilton. We're chatting about the Hamilton Catholic School Board's hybrid model in which one teacher in the classroom is teaching uh, students in the class as well as those who are learning from home. Does this model almost force students with disabilities into the classroom and maybe you know parents of those students don't necessarily want them in there because it's much easier to raise your hand in a class scenario or as you said you know act out to get the teacher's attention yes i mean um learning in the classroom for most students is the best scenario um and i understand um you know why the push has been to, to get our kids back in school really is great for their mental health and their social uh, emotional well-being um, but you know when when our tu- students are, are online they they really <laughs> I was listening to a recording yesterday that that said the, the shame that comes with not being able to read has been studied and been equivalent to the, the shame that people feel um, in being in an abused relationship. Um, And so when we think about that, putting your hand up when you're struggling is often not an option. It's you just want to to get through the class and get out. And I guess what we're concerned about is any students that are online will not necessarily be getting the extra support that they need. And even if they're in the classroom where they where we really do want them um, with the support, they need extra support. A teacher that spreads so thinly and having to accommodate many more children than they they really should be. And on multiple uh, platforms, uh, our students, as I say, unless they are going to start causing trouble, are just going to be the ones that are left behind. For those who do need extra support, does the Learning Disabilities Association of Halton Hamilton help in that regard? Do you you reference uh, or refer these, uh, these students or these families to other agencies? How does that work? So we actually run a wide variety of programs ourselves, many of which are subsidized. Um, And if there is a direct referral from the school system, um, there's an automatic subsidy for families. So um, please get in contact with your special educator if if you need support in reading, math, uh, there's homework help, executive functioning, a whole wide range of services. Um, If there are services that we don't provide, we work with the community. We also... Um, 
advocate in the school system. So we um, sit on special education advisory committees, but we also work one-on-one with families. And so we have some funding from people like the Hamilton Community Foundation this year, especially to provide free support to families whose children are struggling and we will help them in school meetings, whatever needs to be done, the development of the individual education plan to make sure that the supports that are available in the school system are being directed to the students. So that is available. And if anybody wants to contact us, uh, our website is there. We've got lots of great information, www.ldahh.ca. Should mention too that the school board doesn't really want to use this model. It basically yeah. uh, saying it has to because of the resources that it has. Um, we haven't really heard from the Ministry of Education in this regard either, right? No, and I mean, as you know, we're a chapter, and uh, we work with our other chapters across Ontario, and we have a provincial organization, and and the, the chapters in the provincial organization, we're we're asking um, LDA Ontario to go to the ministry and basically say, we need this. This model does not work. Any board that needs financially to use this model needs to be given more money, um, because um, this is this is a model that doesn't you know, it's just going to make the most vulnerable students uh, fall behind even further. And um, really, you know, we all knew that education was going to be a problem after the pandemic. It's well documented. The government needs to step up and put some money into the system. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Alison, really appreciate the time. Enjoy the rest of your day. And you. Take care. You too. Alison Brindle is the Executive Director of Learning Disabilities Association of Hamilton, or Halton Hamilton, LDAHH. You can Google that and uh, find out more information and uh, see if you can help them out. Wake up with the information you need to get the most out of your day. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. It's sadly, uh, I think, one of the lowest across uh, the city. If, if not uh, in surrounding municipalities, and I really don't understand why. That is the voice of Flamborough Councillor Judy Partridge on the small number of residents in her ward that remain unvaccinated against COVID-19. We learned yesterday that 74% of eligible residents in Hamilton are fully vaccinated. That That's not a large number. In fact, it is tied for the lowest rate in Ontario with four other public health units, And in Partridge's wards, the rate is just 65%. So we got to definitely ramp up that number. Absolutely, we have to ramp up that number. It is also leading uh, to our poll question today on Twitter at AM900CHML. Are you surprised to hear that Hamilton still has the fewest number of fully vaccinated residents among Ontario cities? It's a simple yes or no question. Right now, no, 71.2%, and the yes side saying 28.8%. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about this with Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath, who joins us now. And she's saying that this province needs a new rock-solid last-mile strategy to surpass the 90% vaccination goal to end the pandemic. Good morning to Ms. Horvath. How are you? And we lost her. (laughs) Well, hopefully she can call back. Uh, again, technology. When it works, it's fantastic. But yeah, Andrew Horvath is calling for a revamped, rejigged, and improved last-mile strategy. And we, we've heard about this strategy from uh, the Premier in uh, the, you know the last number of weeks. 
in terms of getting more people vaccinated. But clearly there has been a, a, a lull, and it's it's primarily the younger crowd. That 19 to 29-year-old person, for the most part, I mean, there's others around that age group who are just not getting the shot. I think we have uh, Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath on the phone. Good morning, Andrea. Good morning, Rick. Let's try that again. Yeah, here we go. It's <laughs> glad glad to be speaking with you uh, this morning on Good Morning Hamilton. So you're calling for a new, and as you call it, rock-solid last-mile strategy to get over that 90 percentile rate in terms of vaccinations. Uh, what are you proposing? What should the province be doing? Well, uh, first of all, we're we're kind of behind the eight ball here. I mean, Doug Ford uh, went into hiding, dragged his government into hiding with him, uh, and really have not been doing what needed to be done to get uh, you know, to get a handle on the fourth wave. So the, the whole idea that our, our passport or certificate uh, is not even in place yet is extremely problematic. And as you know, I mean, Doug Ford has come late to every single decision. He's dragged his feet. Uh, he's been, he's lacked any sense of urgency throughout the whole pandemic. And so the same thing is happening this time. Uh, but he's also, you know, his, 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 the measures he takes are, are they're they're never complete measures he's always uh you know he's always half baked in terms of his response so in this particular case we have a a, a premier who's certainly put out a certificate program but it's full of exemptions uh, it's full of exemptions and and uh and these kinds of situations that are uh that are just not uh, adequate embolden the anti-vaxxers. Every time there's a half measure that comes forward, it just gives them much more oxygen. And, and you know, people have worked really hard. Uh, so many thousands of millions of people in our province have done the right thing and gotten their shots, right? We, we've, we've done the right thing all the way along. We deserve the ability to go to a stadium or a mall or a, a church or, or, or a mosque without the fear of having uh, exposure to COVID-19. We, we should be able to go to, to the local businesses that we want to go to uh, without having to put our health at risk. We shouldn't have to worry about whether our hospitals uh, are going to be able to care for us and our loved ones uh, because they're backed up with COVID-19 patients. And we know very well that's exactly what's happening in our city. You know, th- the problem is because Doug Ford hasn't stepped up, we are crawling this last mile of the COVID crisis. Yeah, without a doubt, we, we've certainly hit a lull, that's for sure. The, the question is, and I, I get the exemptions and certainly agree with you in, in that regard, but how do you propose that we convince that 19 to 29 crowd that they have to get the shot? Because that's really the, the, the big gap here. Well, I mean, there's, a, there's a number of things. I mean, first of all, we need to make sure that we get rid of the exemptions, really, and, and the contradictions in the last mile strategy with the vaccine certificates. I mean, all non-essential businesses and activities should be covered by uh, the, the certificate. It just, it just it doesn't make any sense to have those exemptions. We have to have safety zone legislation so that, so that when these organized and, uh, uh, you know, coordinated anti-vaxxers decide that they're going to converge upon a hospital or converge upon a small business, uh, that, that there's a barrier that to, 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 uh, between them and the actual, you know, workers and frontline healthcare heroes and, and patients and, and visitors and, and in the case, in the case of businesses and, and clients or, or customers. So that needs to happen. Uh, we also have to have mandate, mandated 
uh, vaccines. And look, Doug Ford has not mandated vaccines anywhere. Education workers, healthcare workers should be mandated to have their max- vaccines. I mean, that's just a no-brainer. We know little children cannot get the vaccine, so they are going to be vulnerable. They should never be in a classroom with somebody that's not vaccinated. Similarly, uh, our healthcare heroes. Absolutely, they need to be vaccinated. They work with, with people who are sick. You know, they work with people who are vulnerable. So these are some of the things as well. And, and some of these things will capture people in that age group. But, you know, there's also lots of barriers. Uh, I represent part of the city uh, that has some of the lowest vaccine rates. But when you look at who lives in, in, in my community, in, in my uh, riding that I represent, there are, I think it's not, it's not safe to assume that people who are not vaccinated yet are just, you know, they just don't want to do it. Uh, there are lots of people who have many barriers still to vaccines, and I think it's dangerous for us to assume that the people who aren't vaccinated uh, are, are simply ones who have decided that that's not for them, uh, that they're anti-vaxxers, because I, I don't think that's the case. And I do have to say, public health's been doing a, a better job at at getting out into community, finding those people, right? That's what needs to keep happening. Andrea, the clock is our enemy this morning, as it usually is. We'll have to leave it there. We'll certainly bring you on uh, in the future here on Good Morning Hamilton. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks so much. You too, Rick. Bye-bye. Uh, Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath joining us, uh, giving us her views on how the province can get to that 90% vaccination goal. Uh, we got to do some heavy lifting. There's no doubt about that. And, and a big part of that is convincing the younger crowd to get the shot and convincing those who don't want to get the shot to get the shot. Easier said than done, I know. How about some news and opinion to go with your coffee? This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Let's zero in on what is happening in Hamilton. And we are pleased to be joined by Peter Grafe, Professor of Political Science at McMaster University here on Good Morning Hamilton. Peter, good morning. Good morning. Hamilton has certainly been a hotbed of activity during the campaign. Uh, Liberal leader Justin Trudeau and NDP leader Jagmeet Singh visited the city twice. Sarah O'Toole has been here. Uh, Mr. Bernier is here today. Um, are we to believe that everything is up for grabs here in Hamilton? I think we're to believe that we have an airport where it's probably cheaper to land. <laughs> so we see campaigns coming through here. I mean, there's certainly a few uh, seats that are in play. And, you know, given how close seats are together in, in the GTA, uh, I think we see we see the leaders come. So certainly I think, you know, Mr. Trudeau is playing defense a bit in Hamilton East Stony Creek and also seeing that there might be gains to be made, uh, you know, perhaps a bit of a longer shot on Hamilton Mountain, but certainly Flamborough Glanbrook is a riding that came very close for the Liberals in 2019. And, uh, you know, as it becomes more suburban, probably more favorable to the party. So I think there's a bit of a push there. I think for Mr. Singh, again, playing a bit of defense in Hamilton East, uh, sorry, in, on Hamilton Mountain, and maybe seeing if there's something moving in Hamilton East Stony Creek. I think that probably explains why, why we've seen them here. We've seen less of Mr. O'Toole. I think, again, he doesn't see much that could be won here, but he must be worried a bit about Flamborough-Glanbrook. Uh, but all told, I mean, compared to 2019, where there was a real push on Hamilton Mountain with uh, Mr. Diakowski as a, as a conservative candidate, I think we've seen much less emphasis uh, in the area ridings from the conservatives this time out. The ridings that you mentioned, Hamilton, East Stony Creek, Hamilton Mountain, Flamborough-Glanbrook, they're, they're all going to have, no matter who wins, they're all going to have new representation at uh, uh, on Parliament Hill, are, are these ridings considered wide open? Can they go either way? Do you think, or would they, you know, more or less stay along the party lines? 
Well, in a way, uh, you know, they've been fairly strong for the parties that are holding them at the moment. But, you know, there's always that question. So, I mean, you know, in a place like Hamilton East, Stony Creek, uh, Mr. Bertino won that fairly handily last time. Uh, you know, Mr. Collins obviously is is well known from being, a, you know, longtime city councillor. But that had been held by the NDP over two or three electoral cycles by Wayne Marston. So I think there's still a, a sense in the NDP that they might be able to win that back, even though with the redistribution in 2011, it becomes a harder riding for them as some of their better polls got moved to Hamilton Centre. Hamilton Mountain, the NDP has held uh, federally you know, since Chris Charlton uh, 15 plus years ago. So Again, uh, you know, the Liberals have had success there federally and provincially at various times. So, I, you know, I think that's there for them. Flamborough Glanbrook has been a very safe seat for the Conservatives. But uh, as it changes from being a fairly rural seat to one where there's significant, you know, suburban uh, development on the East Mountain, uh, it's become much closer for the Liberals, uh, you know, who came within less than 2,000 votes in 2019. And we saw provincially the NDP came very close uh, to beating Donna Skelly in the 2018 provincial. And so I think there's a sense that there's a constituency there uh, for a centre or a centre-left party that, that might actually be able to beat the Conservatives. We're getting a look at what the local political map might look like come uh, voting day, or I guess the day after voting day, here on Good Morning Hamilton with Peter Graf. He's a uh, professor of political science at McMaster University. Uh, We've learned that vaccine mandates have certainly been an election issue, and and with Hamilton, um, you know, having the lowest rate of fully vaccinated residents in Ontario, does that maybe suggest that the city could go more conservative than ever before? Uh... I'm not sure, really. I mean, I don't think it's really changing, uh, you know, how people are going to vote, except perhaps for uh, the People's Party. I mean, you'll be speaking with Mr. Bernier in a few minutes. Um, I mean, I think it's it's there that we see uh, people who are upset about vaccine mandates, uh, you know, trying to strike back. I think they've been change, uh, changing much more to the People's Party uh, than to the Conservative Party. So, I mean, it, it uh, you know, really the Green Party as well as I think in that space. I mean, we saw uh, Annamie Paul come out, uh, you know, against the idea of uh, vaccine passports and vaccine mandates. So, uh, you know, there you've got, you know, the the Greens and the People's Party uh, being fairly clear on the policy. The Conservatives, likewise, saying they won't go on a vaccine passport. But Mr. O'Toole, I think, has been, uh, you know, a bit more trying to, to play both sides of that issue. I think recognizing that he would have votes to lose uh, among the vaccinated if, if he pushed too strongly on uh, uh, kind of an anti-vaccine message. It appears that we are destined for a minority government, whether it's liberal or conservative. Would the latter be more susceptible to a future non-confidence vote, thus triggering another election maybe uh, within two to four years? Uh, Well, it's really hard to say. It depends on which parties hold the balance of power. So, you know, uh, could we have a situation where, you know, you'd have to have all the opposition parties, as as in this previous parliament, uh, voting against the government? Uh, you know, that led to a pretty stable government. Um, and so a lot will have to do with, you know, is the NDP given the role of a kingmaker on Monday if we have a minority situation? Or is it the bloc or is it both together that have to, to play that role? I mean, I think certainly the past two years have indicated that minority governments aren't necessarily that unstable. You know, what counts is the management of the political situation. I think if Mr. O'Toole really wanted to become prime minister, he could probably find a way of making promises uh, to whatever parties hold the balance to, to keep that government stable. I mean, much as we saw in British Columbia with the NDP and the Greens a couple of years ago. 
lot of it has to do with how much the governing party is willing to restrain its ambitions to ensure that the opposition parties are willing to uh, support them over the longer term. Mr. Grafe, really appreciate the time today. You're welcome. Peter Grafe, professor of political science at McMaster University, giving us uh, some information on how Hamilton might look politically come Monday's federal election votes. Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. We are joined by PPC leader Maxime Bernier, who is going to be holding a rally in, well, just over an hour at Gage Park this morning. Good morning, Mr. Bernier. Hello, Maxime. Do we have you? Yes, good morning. Oh, hey, there you are. Thank you. Um, Listen, at some of your rallies, we've seen extreme right-wing conservative white nationalists, anti-vaxxers, among others, who've seemingly found a home with the PPC. Do you want those people associated with the party that you founded? First, I think you're not right. I don't know if you were at our rally yesterday, but it's all people that want to live in a free country, people that are freedom, that believe in freedom of choice. We are not anti-vax. We're not anti-mask. We are for freedom of choice. Everybody must be able to decide with the right information if they want to have the vaccine or not. That's the position of our, of our party, and we always fought for that. So that being said, you know, people... No, people who don't share our values are not welcome in our party, and 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 they're not. It's because they don't know our platform. You know, we created this party founded on four principles: individual freedom, personal responsibility, respect, and fairness. And I'm very pleased that you know this campaign is going well. We didn't have any uh, coverage by the mainstream media, but uh, people understand that this campaign will be an important one. I can say an historical one, because uh, we want to gain back our freedoms. And all these uh, uh, vaccine passports, as you may know, are illegal and unconstitutional. And everybody, uh, I I, I think they believe that uh, this country is not going in the right direction. You're rallying at Gage Park in Hamilton this morning. What level of support are you receiving from Hamilton residents? I've been told we have a good team here and we have a lot of people that are coming on our side. It's not only from former conservatives, but uh, at our rally yesterday, I saw people that told me, Maxime, I'm uh, 55 years old. That would be the first time that I will vote. Uh, Others that are coming from the uh, liberals or conservatives. It's all, and that's why I believe that this party is going because we are able to attract people from different political backgrounds. The uh, B.C. Assembly of First Nations calling for the removal of a PPC candidate after she distributed a pamphlet equating vaccine passports to the residential school system. Uh, Will you condemn this action and will you remove the candidate from that writing? No, no, we don't play the political correctness game. No, we we won't. And uh, we must uh, people must read our platform on the First Nation. Actually, I unveiled that platform in Edmonton Saturday, last Saturday. And we had a lot of support from uh, people coming from the First Nation. Uh, we are the only party that want to abolish the Indian Act. That's a racist act. And we want to build a new relationship with the First Nation based on respect, on uh, property rights on reserve, 
uh, and I, that policy is very well uh, received by First Nations. So, uh, no, I think uh, people just have to go and read our platform on First Nation, and they will see that uh, we we don't want any discrimination. We want them to fully participate in our society. Our guest this morning on Good Morning Hamilton is PPC leader Maxime Bernier holding a rally at Gage Park later on this morning. Uh, you've been described as the Donald Trump of Canada. Do you take that as a compliment? <laughs> but, you know, no. Uh, what, I'm, what I'm doing, I'm doing politics differently, and that's what people like. People like the authenticity of our party. You know, the political platform that we have, our electoral platform for this election, is the same one that we had at the last election, and it will be the same one at the next one. That's why we are doing politics based on principles, and people appreciate that, that for us there's no taboo subject. And like I said, you know, I said no to political correctness a long time ago, and no to racial politics, no to identity politics, and that's why I think people appreciate that. Uh, do you think the controversy that's followed you on this election campaign trail, I mean, you were arrested in, in Manitoba, there was some pebble throwing in London, is that helping or hurting your chances of winning some seats? Uh, you know, people understand that these people, you know, they, they have the right, first of all, to express their point of view peacefully, and that's what I said. Uh, and actually, I have the right also to express my point of view. And in Manitoba, a couple of weeks ago, uh, they, they put me in jail for a non-crime after a political gathering. That was political repression. And I believe that people don't find that in this country. Uh, they want to be free to do what they want to do, you know, not being able to, not being able to have a rally outside with uh, about eight or, or eight or ten people and putting me in jail for that. And that's not respecting our constitution. They are doing that in communist country when they want to stop their political opponents. Not in Canada, but I was, uh, I was uh, targeted by politicians in Manitoba. But I went back there in Manitoba and we had the biggest crowd of the campaign, more than a thousand people uh, in the middle of nowhere in Manitoba. So our campaign is going well and we'll see what will happen the in a couple of days. We've got about a minute left. I'm in favor of vaccine passports, not necessarily in mandating vaccines. Why are you against vaccine passports? Because there's no difference. Everybody can spread the virus, the vaccinated ones and the unvaccinated ones, while doing segregation. And if you if you have the vaccine, if you have your two shots, you're protected. So why why some governments don't want to have unvaccinated people in the same restaurant. You know, in, in Quebec, actually, the vaccine passport is in force right now. I decided not to take the vaccine because I look at the data. I'm a 58 years old man. And in Canada, if you look at what happened the last year, a 58 years, 58 years old man, I had 0.5% chances of dying from COVID. And so my, my, my survival rate is 99.5%. I believe that the data are on my side. But that being said, in Quebec right now, I won't be able to go to a restaurant, but I will be able to go to my church. So what is the difference? There's no logic there. And and if the vaccine is efficient, and I believe that the vaccine is efficient, so while doing that segregation, there's no reason. It's not based on science, and we must stop that. Mr. Bernay, really appreciate the time today. Good luck uh, the rest of the way on the election campaign.
Thank you for giving me that opportunity. Have a nice day. You too. PPC leader Maxime Bernier holding a rally in Hamilton today. There is obviously con- some concern with that as these rallies have uh, not necessarily gotten out of hand, although you know, pebble throwing at the liberal leader uh, I think would probably be considered crossing the line, seeing that there's charges to that effect. Um, we shall see what happens later on today in Gage Park. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Encampments in Hamilton Hamilton parks have sadly almost doubled in number since council reinstated a bylaw that prohibits them just over a month ago. And we heard from downtown councillor Jason Farr in the news at uh, eight o'clock says that the number of these uh, encampments has gone from 20 or 25 now to nearly 40. And he's frustrated with what he calls a severely flawed new six-step process in the city. A growing number of residents and business people in Ward 2 are concerned that the 39 is going to turn to 49 really soon. And that clearly, when you understand the definition of the repeal in our motion on August 9th, is a flaw. It is heading in the exact opposite direction. Here to share a little more insight into what is going on is Stephanie Cox from the Hamilton Community Legal Clinic. Stephanie, good morning. It's great to have you on board. What What is happening? Where are we going with this? So, um, as you know, and as you just spoke about, the city provided an information uh, report which outlines a six-step process uh, for bylaw enforcement, and step five involves uh, enforcement by Hamilton Police Services. And given the city's own acknowledgement of ongoing shelter capacity issues, the affordability housing crisis, and the lack of supports available uh, to to high acuity uh, individuals, it's become painfully clear uh, that there's little to no prospect of actually connecting individuals with appropriate housings in the steps one through six. It's the same old story. Uh, People will be forced to move despite the fact that they have nowhere to go. Um, And as such, we support the efforts of Hamilton Police Services to acknowledge this reality um, and their attempt to compel the city to engage in more meaningful accommodation of individual human rights. We see this policy as really a goal to eliminate the invisibility of encampments rather than addressing uh, the root causes of encampments, which, which are the housing crisis. And so the revocation of the protocol and the reenactment of this bylaw is certainly not propelling individuals into homelessness. It's a housing crisis and a lack of capacity at shelters. One of the biggest disconnects in this situation is the lack of housing supports in this city. I mean, if these people are not allowed to be in tents, uh, there's there's no shelter space. There's no affordable housing available to them. Where are these people supposed to go? And that's what we're uh, keeping six Hamspart. Uh, the individuals who continue to advocate for this population and see individuals falling into homelessness on a daily basis. This is our our main concern, and this is a critical crisis that needs to be addressed because individuals are being pushed to the outskirts. They will be forced into hiding, into forests, and the concern, of course, is their personal safety and and a lack of connection to the resources that they need to meet their most basic needs. If the city is really concerned about connecting these individuals to housing services uh, and to medical care, then they would allow them to stay in their tents, in their locations, so that those connections can be made. Because at this point, what we're seeing is 
individuals fearful that they're going to be arrested and thrown into jail because of their homelessness status, uh, or their other option would be to uh, disperse in a transient way to the outskirts and lose any connection uh, to those resources that will assist in, in meeting their most basic needs. We're chatting with uh, Stephanie Cox from the Hamilton Community Legal Clinic about Hamilton's encampments uh, issue. Uh, the comment, uh, you know, uh, this is an eyesore, uh, certainly doesn't want to be heard by anyone, especially those who are living in these tents. But, I mean, they're there for a reason, and some of them don't wish to be there. They, they would certainly love a home, of course. Absolutely. No one is choosing to to live in tents. This is a last resort solution, and it's no solution at all. And so as opposed to an eyesore, I would employ the community uh, to have some humanity. Certainly when I walk by these, what I see is, is human suffering and devastation and really a failure of our city, our province, and our federal government to ensure that uh, the human right uh, to accessible and adequate homes is protected. We saw in Toronto not too long ago police barricading parks, uh, evicting uh, many people who had been uh, living in tents from those parks. Is there a fear that that may happen here in Hamilton? That That is the fear. Uh, the chief of police has made public statements uh, that uh, they do not want uh, to take such a heavy-handed approach. And in fact, it would, it would seem that uh, Hamilton Police Services is pressing the city uh, to adopt a policy that responds to homelessness and the needs of these individuals rather than criminalizing them. But without a formal um, policy of such, there certainly is the risk that Hamilton Police Services will be pressured uh, to apply such tactics, and that's what we're most fearful of. Stephanie, this certainly isn't just a Hamilton problem. Have other cities managed to find a good solution? So the issue certainly is not uh, unique to Hamilton. Uh, The same issues are taking place uh, across uh, southwestern Ontario. In London, actually, there are sanctioned sites currently. So bylaws not enforcing uh, residents of these tents to move. They do have a limit of three tents. Uh, per sanctioned site. Um, Previously, in the beginning of 2020, the region of Kitchener-Waterloo had allowed for sanctioned sites and provided porta-potties, potable water uh, to those uh, encampments. However, they have revoked that policy. Uh, So, But this is a pressing issue that is not unique to Hamilton. And so... um, I think there needs to be this recognition that this housing crisis, as confirmed by analysts, is is not going away anytime soon. And so this isn't just some pesky problem that we can eliminate with knee-jerk policies. Individuals are continuing continuing to find themselves uh, homeless for the first time. And with the gentrification um, and lack of affordability in, in Hamilton, There are growing numbers of individuals finding themselves homeless for the very first time in their lives. And at the end of the day, we have to find a better solution because what is uh, in effect right now certainly isn't working. Stephanie, uh, thank you for the time today. Thanks for sharing some insight on this topic. Thank you very much. Stephanie Cox is with the Hamilton Community Legal Clinic. 
Wake up with the information you need to get the most out of your day. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Zamperin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.